Six Figure Developer Podcast, a podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Alexander Slota. Alexander is a Microsoft MVP and a managing consultant and .NET expert at Excella. He's the founder and organizer of the virtual ML.NET community conference and the organizer of the .NET DC user group. Welcome, Alexander. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, one of the things we ask all of our guests is to kind of give us a background on themselves. How did you get started in the industry and what was your path to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So as you may discover during this podcast, my accent is from Europe and I'm uh, originally from Sweden and Uppsala. And uh, my career actually started as a chemical engineer. So I have a master's degree in chemical engineering. And I started my career at General Electric, the healthcare division, because I was particularly focused on pharmaceutical uh, industry. Uh, but I quickly realized that uh, a time in the lab is not my thing because I keep dropping things and uh, I can't wait for two weeks for a reaction or something like that to finish off. And I'm much more eager to see a result. So I quickly got the opportunity to get into software engineering. And uh, I had a great manager at that time that invested time and, and money in me. So... Um, after some redirection, I started developing and, uh, you know, from there it went and I've been in the U S for about four years now and, uh, um, really enjoying it so far. And, uh, you know, always had a keen interest for machine learning, especially in data science as well. And the last three, four years really been trying to get myself more into that space and while still keeping my roots in the .NET developer sphere here. Excellent. So what are the types of things that you're working on these days? So uh, currently, uh, I'm working on modernizing legacy applications. That's kind of what I specialize at. Uh, so currently, I am migrating a large legacy uh, .NET application to .NET Core, which has been about a nine to 10-month undertaking so far, uh, trying to get all the bits and pieces working and uh, making sure nothing breaks in the process. Uh, so that's really exciting, and we're getting close to the end there uh, for something that a client will uh, be able to use in production. Uh, so that's my day-to-day activities so far. Any chance that you get to, to play with ML.net at work, or is this just a, a personal passion? I try as much as I can. I do have discussions with clients about ML.net, um, both uh, the current client as well as others. Uh, definitely trying to get more ML.net work uh, at my current client as well and get some more machine learning potential there. And I think the thing is, with many companies and many firms out there today, especially in the net sphere, there's so much potential. There's so much data out there. There's so much uh, business functionality that can, we can easily do with a classifier or recommendation system or a ranking system that actually can be done very easily without too much effort. But I think the whole like the data science terms and the data science idea right now for the, the Microsoft community sounds very expensive most of the time. So a lot of firms and organizations say, oh, we, don't, we can't afford it. We're not a big organization, so we just won't do it. But I think 
you know, Amazonet has really proven to me and I think to many others as well that it's completely doable to make custom machine learning models for a very low cost as well. And they can be kind of completed in a week or two and you can have it in production. We've covered ML.net on the show before, I believe, so we can maybe skip some of the formalities on on what is ML.net. Maybe we, we can spend a few minutes on that. But I know before hitting record, we were talking about it for data science and things like that. Uh, the entry is either Python or R, and Python is typically thought of as the, the easier language or the, the, the lower barrier to entry to get started. Oftentimes, ML.net is maybe an afterthought, maybe something that's this discussed at a later date? Yeah, I think so too. I think, you know, a lot of discussions I have with clients as well, um, both, um, you know, in the community sense, but also for, for my employer, uh, they always, of course, start thinking about, well, let's do a model in Python, let's do a model in R or something like that. Um, and I think there's still a hurdle to get over there to make uh, organizations aware that, first of all, it exists as an opportunity. Um, and it's in many cases as good as well for most use case scenarios. I think the Python community, of course, has the upper hand because the, the community is so much larger. And if you have any issues in TensorFlow or Scikit-Learn, there's always uh, tons of answers for you on Stack Overflow or the community uh, in general. And uh, the Amalgamate community is not that big yet, uh, even though it's growing. Uh, so that's something that is still you know, a tough selling point in, in many ways to get people started. Uh, but I, I really try uh, my spare time and I really hope that we can get to a point where uh, data science and machine learning is not directly associated with Python. Although Python is fantastic and you know, that community is great. There's so much potential as well in the, the Net community uh, to do that. And I think as well, just to add to that as well, Python as a language uh, is a great way to get started. It's simple and you know, easy to read but it's also not the most performant language. Um, so if you start training models on ML.NET, you will get the full force of uh, .NET Core under the surface. And now as well with the release of .NET 5 soon, we'll have even more performance improvements. So you'll see there's tons of um, reports out there from the Microsoft team as well uh, about just how much faster it is to train a model on this framework as opposed to scikit-learn, for example. So if you're, if you're already a uh, C-sharp developer, or just a .NET developer, I guess. I guess you could be VB or F-sharp or, or whatever. How difficult is it to start using ML.NET? That's a good question. Um, I think it's pretty straightforward. Um, of course, I've been doing it for two years now, so that's uh, coming from a different perspective. But there's many ways to get started with ML.NET. I think that's the, what I want to say here. The easiest way is to use the model builder, Visual Studio, which is um, you know, it's an extension, as a UI, and it will auto automatically create the model for you. So all you need to do is just to feed it data and define the problem you're trying to do. And it will try to figure out the algorithm for you and the massage of data and everything. And it will even output the code that it used to train a model so you can modify it yourself uh, for any need you have. Uh, and it also has a CLI opportunity. So if you want to do it in CLI, you can do that, or in API as well. But if you want to get into you know, the, the, the real custom stuff and, you know, really build the model for yourself uh, through your console app and uh, do your own transformations, your own algorithm selections, stuff like that. There is definitely a learning curve. Uh, I won't uh, say no to that. But I think it's a lot less than if you do scikit-learn because this is something I like a lot because you can use your already existing knowledge 
from C-sharp or F-sharp and apply it to this. So you don't have to worry about the syntax. It's type safe, right? Uh, the compiler will save you for like most scenarios. Um, so you just need to figure out those steps to go through. And, and after that is very straightforward. And those steps are very repetitive. Like it doesn't really matter if you're building a classifier uh, ranking model or like a forecasting model. They're always the same, like same steps you have to do to, to build your model. And the story doesn't stop there either though, right? It's, it's, we were talking earlier about what is the deployment like? How do you, what, once you build the model in Visual Studio, you've got your extensions loaded, you've gone through the tutorials, maybe you, you've got some experience now and you know what you're doing on that end. Now what? Where, where do you put that? Where do you run that? How, how do you get it there? Exactly. Uh, and this is a whole, uh, whole, whole long story. I mean, that's something that's so amazing, I think, with ML.net is that it's just C-sharp code. So you can call it from any application as a method, and you can pass in your data, and it'll give you a prediction back. And that allows you to really be flexible with your deployment. If you, for example, think about scikit-learn and Python, most of the time you want to deploy your model to a Docker container, and you spin it up in a cluster, and you call it through web API method, and you get your prediction back. And that's great. It works really well. But you have that added complexity of a container and cluster management and so forth, which makes a lot of sense sometimes, but not always. And you can do the same thing with ML.net, right? You can spin it up in an ASP that core web API, expose it through a controller method on your, uh, your API, and then just you know, call your data in and get a prediction back. But you can also embed it into your applications. So you can um, either copy the model more or less into your application, we deploy it so you can have it locally. Uh, or you can actually also just put it on a blob storage container and expose it. And uh, ASP.NET Core can then go ahead and pull that location for your model and use that for predictions. And if the model changes in that storage container, it will automatically reread it again. So that's really good because you can have different deployment life cycles for your uh, regular web app as well as your model itself. They don't need to be on the same release schedule at all. But you can also you know, deploy it to uh, uh, a desktop app, WPF. And I know they're also working right now on support for Xamarin. Uh, the issue with Xamarin right now is that uh, ML.NET doesn't support ARM processors. So if you have it on ARM processors, there's like a 50-50 chance it won't work. Uh, but I know that's on the roadmap and that's something they really want to do. So are we looking to put these uh, machine learning models onto my, my phone and, and watch the battery just immediately evaporate? No, it depends on the model, right? Well, first of all, uh, that's one of the good things with, uh, with the library because it's not a cloud solution. It's not Azure Machine Learning or AWS SageMaker. It's a completely offline um, model. So you can put it on your Raspberry Pi or your phone or whatever eventually. If you're doing something like uh, you know, image classification or video processing or orbit detection, absolutely, your, mem your, your battery is going to be drained pretty quickly on your phone, depending on the size of, of that. Um, but for smaller models, uh, classifiers and other things, uh, I think that should be really, really fine. Um, and again, that goes, that goes back a bit to if you need a CPU or if you need a GPU for your predictions. Is that something that you can set in ML.NET to, to say only use the CPU or only use the GPU? So by default, everything is using CPUs in ML.NET, which is not always great. Uh, they just add support for GPU training 
when it comes to image certification and object detection. So if you uh, use the model builder in Visual Studio, you can actually fan out to a cluster in Azure Machine Learning to use their GPUs to train the model. Um, and you can also use it actually locally now on a preview version to train the model locally with your GPU if you have a strong machine. And it makes a lot of sense if you do a lot of image processing because a GPU will be a lot faster and allow for more computational resources. Uh, so you'll have like almost like a four to five times faster training process. Uh, I think when it comes to like prediction though, it doesn't really matter too much uh, because you're only sending in one image or so and that's not too straining for your processor in, in general. So that should be kind of fine. Uh, but in general, of course, you want to use GPUs uh, for most things for machine learning because it's much faster. Um, and I think they're looking at adding more support for that as well. And you had mentioned updating the models at, at some point. If you're looking at changing classifications or, or releasing new updates or something like that, it seems like nowadays something something ops is becoming a thing. Where we, yeah. we we're, we're DevOps, <laughs> we're GitOps, we're now we're we're talking about MLOps. So what does that consist of? Yeah, I mean MLOps has really emerged. I think the last year or so, and it's kind of gone hand in hand with data ops. So in other ops, right? Um, and for a long time, they were kind of inseparable. I think, and there was some confusion between them and what each kind of were entailing. And I think the last half year or so, or maybe even more than that, we've seen MLOps more emerge as a more defined thing that uh, a lot of people look for when they want to manage their machine learning models. You can think about MLOps like, uh, it's like DevOps, of course, but you have to just handle a lot more dimensions. You know, when you think about DevOps and automating your code from uh, the drawing board to the production uh, server, mostly you're just managing code and you have a source repository and you can track changes there and you got branches and you know, who committed what and where was it deployed and how did they build it? And when you think about MLOps, that really amplifies because you still have the code for your application. But in addition to that, you now have your machine learning model. And that machine learning model that comes from code that you have used to train it. And for you know, the net, that's gonna be a console application. And that code itself uh, comes with configurations on how you deploy the model. So for example, if you deploy it to a cluster, you have to define how many GPUs you have in the cluster and so forth. Um, and the most important thing as well is that you have a dimension of data. So what data do you train your model on? And this is really important because uh, if the data changes, your model is going to change directly. So you need to track data. So how do you track changes of 100 petabytes or just 100 gigabytes? You take a snapshot of that data, pretty difficult. And the location of it and you know, all those things, it definitely adds a complete new complexity. And all of these things, you know, they have to trigger new model training. You tr change the model, a new CI pipeline has to go off. Uh, change the code, configuration, same thing. And then another thing here as well is that when you put something in production, like if you put source code in production for, you know, a regular web app, given that nothing changes that environment, right, that can live for 20, 30 years. It's not going to break. You have seen those 90s web applications online still, like they still live, survive. But if you put the machine learning model in production, it's going to die quickly. Uh, it's going to uh, quickly deteriorate. And it's because the environment around it changes. And a model is only as good as its environment. So for example, you know, um, for example, let's envision that we put something out for the weather, uh, to predict the weather. 
but the weather prediction is only as good as you know the previous history and if there's any sudden changes to the climate that prediction is going to be completely off so you know with the current climate changes a model that let's say we made a model in the 1800s that would not be accurate anymore because we changed the climate so much um, so that model is suddenly out of date and has to be retrained um, so that's something just uh, something to think about the same thing with like product recommendation things as well if you're if you're amazon and you recommend five products for a, a client on your website if you suddenly add a new product category if the model doesn't know about it it can't recommend it so the model has to be retrained and re-put out there so we have this this concept called data drift uh which also forces a retraining so all of this together you know as you can see is causing a lot of complexity to devops and that's why we have this mlops concept to kind of figure these things out when it comes to mlops in general though uh, in python in the python community uh, at large a lot of these things are getting solved and they're being done by great companies such as databricks uh, for one they have something called mlflow out there which is a tool to help you manage your uh, mlops lifecycle and all these things and you also have you know azure machine learning Azure Machine Learning is what it really is, is a, is a managed service for MLOps, even though, of course, you can train your model there. But it really is really good at keeping track of your lifecycle and all these things. And the same thing with AWS SageMaker. But there is, uh, unfortunately, nothing for the MLOps community uh, yet in this space. Is it just because ML.NET is so new? If we're speaking about Python in the same breath, of course, mm-hmm. it doesn't have the, the same history and the, the same size of community around it. Is it just that ML.NET hasn't gotten there, hasn't matured enough to have that ecosystem? I think so, definitely. I think that's, the, that's definitely the reason. The more people that start using ML.NET and the more community we get around it as well, I think the more appeal there will be for big companies like Databricks to start looking into adding support for it or even Azure. Uh, you know, AmoNet is a is a Microsoft product, right? But Azure is still not adding support for it. The only thing we have here is uh, is Python SDKs for managing the lifecycle. Um, there's no way to upload an AmoNet model in Azure to deploy it, uh, and a lot of these things are not very difficult to fix. Like uh, to add a full support, absolutely, it's not super simple. But to, for example, just allow anyone to upload an an AmoNet model in Azure and deploy it in the cluster, that should be a pretty simple thing to fix. Uh, to track your uh, your model uh, through its training process should also be a simple fix to fix. So I think, it's, as you said, it's more about building a community and that demand first before these uh, big vendors uh, look into adding support for this as well. Uh, so something you just said made me kind of wonder. I would have thought that the model would have been, would have taken the form of either some kind of file that had its own extension or a um, like a, a .cs file or something uh, but you're saying that you can't yeah. you can't actually like upload the model what what form does the model take yeah and how how do you how do you include that in your project when you do want to use it great question so the the model format is very microsofty it's a zip file so <laughs> <laughs> If you think about the, the Python uh, scikit-learn alternative, for example, it's something called a pickle file. Um, so, and that's just the, the way it's mentioned. Uh, but an MLNet is a zip file, and a zip file contains the schema, the training information, all the, the metrics and, and weights and biases that's needed for the model. 
um, when you want to use it in your application, all you do is to is you create an AML context, which is the the kind of the starting point for anything in AML.NET. And you can just load the model from a file path uh, where you define it. So you can either embed it as an embedded resource in your application. You can point to URI again, where the model is situated. Uh, but all of this is like a one-line code thing for loading it from a file path. They should have went really microsoft and made it a .cab file, mm. uh, which is just a zip file with a different name. Uh, <laughs> I, I, used to, I wish they would have just named it something else as well, like .mlnet or something cool. But uh, to your point, though, um, you can upload uh, an MLNet model to, to Azure if you go make a workaround. So I'm not sure if you heard about it. There's something called Onyx out there, which stands for Open Neural Network Exchange. And uh, it's a collaboration between Microsoft and uh, I think Facebook and Apple as well, Google, maybe. Uh, and it's a standard for how a machine learning model for especially deep learning should look like, uh, which is great because that means that you can actually export an in scikit-learn model to Onyx and import it into your application in .NET uh, through ML.NET. So you can have all these like really cool deep learning models for natural language processing and other stuff uh, in the Python space. And you can actually use it in your .NET applications through ML.NET. And likewise, you can take an ML.NET model that you trained and export it to Onyx. And that Onyx model can then be uploaded into Azure or somewhere else and deployed into a cluster, as you will. So there are ways around it. They're just not very clean, I would say. Well, if you get those companies in a room together, you're either going to come out with something spectacular or something that is just absolutely the worst ideas ever. <laughs> um, so with that, then, is the care and feeding just up to the owners of the applications at that point? Or what, what is involved with making sure that the, the model doesn't expire, that the model still stays relevant, knows about those new product categories that, that you need to feed it for recommendations? Uh, what, what does that story look like? I think it definitely depends on the use case. Um, you know, I've heard companies that don't even look at the evaluation metrics before they deploy it. They were just like, this is probably good enough. So we just deploy it to production. It's fine. And most of us startups and they have a very you know, robust model. They test the model and it's always come out well. And then you have others, right, in the federal government, for example, or regulatory in industries, where you really need to know exactly what to deploy and what it's based off. Uh, because you have all these laws and regulations that makes a lot of sense. But always, I would say, it's always up to the, the, the company organization that deploys the model to production to also monitor the model after its deploy to understand how it's behaving in the wild. Uh, that's an essential part of deploying and, and working with machine learning models is to just look at it in the wild. And it's more than just you know, data drift itself. It's also about, uh, you know, is it fair? Is it biased uh, against a certain population? Um, you know, what's the distribution of the data that's coming in here? Has uh, anything changed in, in that sense? So that's definitely up to uh, the the application or the, the organization itself. There. So at that point, they're they're responsible for their own auditing, for their own policies and procedures around training and, and updating and so forth. Absolutely, yeah, that's correct. In looking out at, at the ecosystem and what's available in NuGet and on GitHub, I see that, that you've got a project on your own GitHub account as well. Do you want to give us a little brief rundown of that? Absolutely, yeah. So it was in, about in May. So um, we did a virtual 
conference actually in May for Emblemnet together with Microsoft. Me, uh, John Wood, me, and React most the PM and and Luis as well from Microsoft. And following that one, uh, I was sort of, I started looking at ways to manage machine learning models and put them into production. And that's kind of when I discovered that there was this big gap in the community for doing that. And uh, I spoke briefly with the, the program manager for Azure Machine Learning about you know, adding some kind of basic support for MLNet to Azure so we could do that. And um, I learned that it just wasn't in the roadmap right now, but maybe in a few years. Uh, so I set up to uh, just kind of fix it myself, if you will. Uh, and I started collaborating with, with speakers from the conference and attendees, and uh, we started building an, a, a library called MLOps.net, which is very catchy, right? <laughs> and it's going really well so far. I mean, so far we are able to support the experiment tracking part to track evaluation metrics like accuracy and how good the model is, uh, to understand if your data has changed by hashing the data and uh, just comparing hashes. We have um, uh, added basic deployment support. So you can deploy it to, um, for example, blob storage or S3 buckets to your model repository and serve the models like that. And we're currently working at uh, containerized support as well for, um, for Docker and uh, cluster support there. And that's something that's really exciting because when you deploy something to a container, for example, in, in Python community, you have to provide a lot of things. So you have to kind of write your own Flask uh, API, um, how the model should be uh, uh, using the data for predictions. And you also have to kind of define which dependencies that you should use of scikit-learn or TensorFlow. And that's all good, but it's that extra manual step. But since we have everything is so typed in C Sharp and it's typed language and we have, you know, we have our dependency in the aftermain and everything else, we can actually automate the whole thing. So the user doesn't need to do anything more than say, hey, I want a container, please deploy it to my Azure Kubernetes service and uh, I want to forget about it. So I think we have a lot of, a lot of um, possibilities for this library and it's really cool to see how it grows uh, together with the community as well. Yeah, it looks like you went uh, full 1.0 version 22 days ago. You're at 1.1 15 days ago. So making good progress, adding new features. What, what are the, what's the roadmap look like? Are there certain items that you want to be sure to tackle in, in next major or minor versions? Absolutely, yeah. So first, we're looking at uh, the Docker support for 1.2, which will be, I think, a big one for, for a lot of ones that want to use the tool. Uh, things we're adding after that is going to be mostly client. So right now, we have a, you know, a number of NuGet packages for various providers. So for example, if you want to store information about your model, you can do it in Cosmos, you can do it in a SQL Server or SQLite. And you can store your models in an S3 bucket or in blob storage. I think that's currently sufficient for most scenarios. But everything else right now is just support through C Sharp, so uh, through console application as part of your training, which makes a lot of sense for a lot of things. But we are looking at support for a global tool right now, so you can script it through a CLI uh, that's being worked on right now. And then the big one that's going to be a lot of work <laughs> is uh, adding a client as well. Uh, so we're looking at uh, having a web app, maybe in Blazor, uh, that's going to work based on the NuGet packages. So you can actually deploy it through a UI. You can compare different runs. Um, you select two runs and compare the metrics and uh, also track back to the GitHub commits that uh, cause the model to behave in a different way, all those kind of things. 
And we're hoping that we can create a web app that can run in containers. So you can just pull down an image and set a couple of environment variables for you know where your data is living. And kind of off you go there from that perspective. I know you can't see it because he has headphones on, but when you said Blazor, Clayton's ears perked up. So it, maybe <laughs> if we add in Project Ty as well, then, then everybody will just go, go crazy and, and jump on. I know. I mean, I think the fun part for me as well, and the reason why I love working on this library is because it really allows me to try new things. Um, you know, I haven't uh, had a chance to work on that new template so much on my clients, uh, but they are, they are perfect for this because we need to, you know, auto-generate an API app and then deploy the model to it. So that's perfect. And uh, a lot of other things as well that you just kind of play around with. And, and Blazor is going to be one of those things as well that, you just read about, but actually don't have time to look into. And then now we're just going to do it. Yeah, Blazor's, Blazor's awesome. I'd, I'd love to see, you know, like a dashboard or something for uh, this ML stuff. The, you know, even if, even if uh, I know you said there's a Visual Studio uh, extension that can, that kind of gives a, a UI, but to me, it'd be even, it'd be even more awesome to have some kind of web thing I could fire up in a Docker container and train train the model it automatically sticks it into uh, my project folder and then from there i can i can consume it in my app that i'm working on yep that'd be yep. really nice absolutely yeah and there's, i think there's so many ideas as well and i think a lot of possibilities and it's more about just getting it off the ground and, and working on it and i think i would definitely not be able to do this myself without the support of the community and uh, the community members that are helping out and we're a small community but we're a very dedicated community <laughs> for sure yeah, it looks like you've you've currently have uh, thirty four open issues, uh, 10, 10 contributors listed on the mlops.net repo at least. Yeah, got uh, two people from uh, New Zealand, and uh, uh, um, I think we've one from India and Holland, and a couple from the US here. So all around the world that are chiming in. So every morning I wake up, I have some emails overnight and uh, some uh, PRs review, and it's a it's a fun problem to have for sure. Yeah, and it sounds like you've got already pretty good support and, and people reassuring you that this is something that the community wants. Hopefully so. With that, do you have any resources for anybody looking to get started in ML.net or maybe specifically with MLApps.net? Absolutely, yeah. So the way I got started with the library, uh, you know, I was actually introduced to the library by a colleague of mine and he showed it to me half a year and a half ago, two years ago. And I looked at it, it's like, wow, this looks complex. I uh, probably can't do it too much of my time. Uh, but the way that the, what's really helped me was the community samples repo. So there's a, a .NET slash machine learning dash samples repo, which has uh, just example solutions and projects for almost every kind of problem that the, the library supports today. And you can open it up and you have the data there and you have the code, how it creates the model and you can run it locally, hit F5 and you will train it for you. And that's a really good way to see the structure on things and just getting familiar with the concepts because to be honest, machine learning is not very difficult always, especially not with this library. It's just very, there's a lot of concepts that can be very confusing in the beginning. Um, and once you get over the terminology, that's uh, a lot easier after that. So the samples repo is a good start. Uh, I would also kind of point um, the way towards a workshop that uh, uh, me, Louise, and Brie, and John have created uh, on Amazonet, which we presented at uh, NDC Melbourne, I believe, uh, in July. And uh, we worked, uh, we 
put quite a few hours into this uh, workshop. It's about an eight hour workshop and it has more or less everything that library can do uh, from start to finish um, with good examples, hopefully, uh, to kind of get you started with it from the basics all the way to more advanced object detection stuff. Excellent. Thank you. One of the things that we ask all of our guests to do is to kind of provide advice that they might give to uh, the people listening for their career. Uh, anything that, that you think might help them kind of propel their career, because that's uh, one of the things we try to focus on in the, uh, in the podcast. I think that's something that I think about a lot um, myself as well. I think don't be afraid to try things and don't be afraid to fail um, on new things. Going into, for example, you know, machine learning space as a developer can be very scary, but there's a lot of people out there to support you as well. And if you don't try it, you will never learn. Uh, so just be willing to learn. And be willing to spend half an hour of your day as well, uh, every day to learn new things. So for example, you can, there's tons of good books out there for uh, machine learning just to get familiar with the basics. Just buy one of those books and read about it 30 minutes a day. And you'll be amazed how much you can pick up in a week or two once you just dedicate that time. Um, but for me, I think it's about persistence. It's about finding something you're passionate about and uh, want to learn more about. And then being persistent and honest to yourself. Just like, you know, if you're into exercising or running or going to the gym, you know yourself that if you don't do it, you will, you will still not get an exercise. <laughs> It's the same thing with your career as well. If you don't take that extra time sometimes to, to um, you know, learn something new and be prepared to fail as well, that's okay. And I think as well, uh, from my experience as well with ML.net, how I started with this library and also how I started contributing to the community was to start streaming on Twitch um, every Saturday and in the beginning of Tuesdays as well. And I was just live coding. And I was doing things I'd never done before, trying to train models with data I'd never seen before. And I was doing Blazor as well, Clayton. <laughs> and uh, I was failing miserably on, Blaz uh, on, on Blazor and being laughed at. And that's okay, uh, because you have to make yourself vulnerable uh, to that learning process and find people that want to learn with you. And I found myself was so humbling to get out of my comfort zone and push myself to like, okay, I don't know this, but I'm going to try to learn it. And if you want to learn with me, come and learn with me and we can talk about it and we can share expertise. And I had so many people joining on those streams that just like, hey, this is a good example. Look at this, or this is a good documentation, or this is how you do it. So I can also recommend just kind of that context uh, to help. Uh, what about social media? Do you have any uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, any kind of accounts like that that you'd be willing to share uh, if somebody wanted to reach out to you or uh, maybe ask some questions about ML.net or, or just follow you for any kind of updates on maybe your personal project? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so Twitter is going to be Alex Slotte. So Alex and then S-L-O-T-T-E. And uh, my GitHub account is not the same, uh, but it's A Slotte. So A-S-L-O-T-T-E. Uh, so I'm mostly active on those two. Um, but you can also find me on LinkedIn, of course, on Alexander Slotte. Uh, I also encourage people that are curious about the community around this to follow Virtual MLNet on Twitter. And that's the conference we're doing. And the reason why I encourage that is because we're doing a fall version that is going to be a collaboration with Microsoft again. And this is going to be a hackathon, um, so a new version. So over, I think, a week's time, we're going to get together and... Uh, kind of uh, go out in teams and try to solve a machine learning problem um, just in teams and then present the solution at the end and see who wins. 
And I know that Bree, who's the PM for the team, she's already uh, promised some nice prizes here. So I'm going to hold her accountable for that by mentioning this on this podcast, <laughs> that if you join, there'll be amazing prizes. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Alexander. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Absolutely. It was uh, great to be here. That was Alexander Slotta. Alexander is a Microsoft MVP and a managing consultant and .NET expert at Excella based out of Washington, D.C. He's the founder and organizer of the Virtual ML.NET Community Conference and the organizer of the .NET DC user group. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I am John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. <laughs>